0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. was that, whose heart is beating in time with the bass of that. Um, hopefully it communicated well to those watching online. It's so good to be gathered together both here in Cambridge, in the flesh. Uh, if you're watching in Colchester, Barry, so welcome. We've already had a shout-out to those in the prisons. Can we all just say hello to them? Hello! <clears throat> <laughs> It really is so good to gather together, isn't it? I also want to give a shout out to the carers in the live link, if you're watching out there with a little one. Um, It is hard work, isn't it, raising a young family, but God is so in it. So thank you for that epic introduction, Steve. Thank you for that epic intro that we've got there. I was thinking about doing a bit of an icebreaker this morning. You know, people do icebreakers as a way of getting to know each other, of kind of thawing out and warming up a little bit, but then I realised every time I'm asked to be part of an icebreaker, I always go to the toilet, um, and I don't want you to leave, I want you to stay in the room. Um, sometimes an icebreaker, it's usually turn to the person on your left and tell them everything you've ever done wrong, you know, and nobody really wants to do that. Um, <laughs> some people do, apparently. There we go. Um, <laughs> you can see Steve afterwards. No, only joking, don't do that. Um, One of maybe the more successful icebreaker games, perhaps you run these icebreakers if you're heading up a meeting, is tell a truth and tell a lie about yourself, or two truths and a lie. So by way of example, my middle name is Rachel, I'm in denial that I have size nine feet, and I've got a tail. So it's up to you then to decipher which one's the truth or which ones are the truths and which ones the lies, and hopefully it's obvious uh, with that I don't have a tail. Um, And so really... Uh, there's a great uh, BBC program which is based on that kind of icebreaker called Would I Lie to You? Anybody here seen Would I Lie to You? Yeah, love it. it. Some people like it. Um, I absolutely love it. I find it hilarious. The premise is you've got two teams, and one team then, uh, one kind of comedian or celebrity, tells a story. It's usually absurd. It's usually hilarious. And sometimes they'll bring a character in uh, who's part of the story just to kind of add an extra element to it. And then the other team have to decide whether or not that's true or false. Is it fake? Is it real? And then points are awarded after that. Now, sometimes, here's my segue, sometimes it can feel like we are living in that icebreaker or that, post, uh, that kind of post-truth thing. Um, we are living um, in an episode of Would I Lie to You? Now, in a really benign way, it could be, will this mascara that I buy make my eyelashes that long? If I buy this electric vehicle, will it really get me that many miles, particularly in the snow? We have to decipher if it's true or if it's fake, if it's a lie to us. Now, on a more serious note, um, who remembers when the UK were voting about whether or not we wanted to stay as part of the European Union? And suddenly, we had politicians saying, no, this is true, these are some true statistics about how much membership costs into the European Union. And we had to decide, what am I going to vote for? Who's telling me the truth? Back when Donald Trump was running for election over in the United States, suddenly in his debates that he was having, he remembers the little scrolling titles at the bottom, fact-checking, because suddenly we had to check the facts that we were being told, these claims about truth and meaning. In fact, partly in response to that, in 2017, the BBC set up a group called the Permanent Reality Check Team. I love that. I work for the reality check team. And their entire role was to go on social media and search through fake news, myths, information and correct it. And we know that they probably had their work cut out for them um, back in 2020 when what the COVID pandemic hit. The World Health Organization said, not only are we fighting a pandemic, but we're also fighting an infodemic, fake news, misinformation circulating. And this past year, we've recently marked the one year anniversary of Russia invading Ukraine. Now, Russia, what do they call it? They call it a special military operation. We call the conflict a war on truth. That was some of the titles used when Russia invaded Ukraine, a war on truth. Because suddenly it was about who was telling the truth, whose claims are real, who can we trust. And in this culture and context, it is totally understandable then that we question what is truth. Does it even exist? Can I say that there is one single meaning? Or really, is it your experience of truth against my experience of truth? In fact, my experience of truth maybe is the only thing I can trust. We call this subjective truth, which is me as the subject and my truth, my subjective truth versus your subjective truth. And you know what? I don't even think truth exists outside of myself. It's your opinion, your perspective against mine. That's just how it is. And maybe that feels a safer way of living. But friends, I wonder then what happens when we come to church, when we pick up our Bibles, when we think about the person of Jesus, when we hear preaching and messages. When we sing songs, truth claims about the person of Jesus, about the character of God and what He's like, do we feel cynical? Or are we skeptical about these claims? And again, understandably, this has led many people to deconstruct their faith, to deconstruct the personal or the historical Jesus. To then rebuild it again according to their subjective truth. I believe God is all loving and therefore he's never going to say anything that challenges my happiness. He's never going to say anything that really gets to me. I build a Jesus in my own image. I build Christianity the way that I want it according to my subjective truth that feels real and comfortable. So friends, this four-week series, Fake News, really dives into the heart of this to unpack it. So I'm not going to wait to the end of this message to give you the ask, which is this. Can you read the Gospel of John in the next four weeks? Can you come and listen to this message as we build on these themes each week? You might say, well, how can I even trust the Gospel of John answers this question? What is truth? Does truth exist? Who is the person of Jesus? Now, the Gospel of John was written possibly by one of the disciples of Jesus, an eyewitness to the historical Jesus. And he grapples with that idea of truth. And in fact, at the time that he was writing, they said, look, if you are going to make a claim, we need two or three witnesses to come together to corroborate it. So John says, okay, I'm not only going to give you two witnesses, I'm not even going to give you three. I'm going to give you seven different witnesses that testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm then going to give you seven direct statements that Jesus makes about himself, and then I'm going to give you seven miraculous signs that point to and prove and demonstrate the truth of what Jesus has said about himself. In fact, John tells us why he writes this gospel, so we can approach it. And this is my ask, that as you read it, you say, God, if you are real, if you are true, reveal yourself to me. Let me encounter truth outside of myself. And I encourage you, ask yourself, does it feel like I'm being conned here when I read this gospel, or does it have the ring of truth about it? Let's pray then, before we jump straight into the gospel of John. Father, we position ourselves as we come to your word. We not only read your word, but I trust that your, your word reads us. And so we want to just surrender. We want to have ears to hear, eyes to see what you might be saying to us. In truth, if you exist, would you reveal yourself to my brothers and sisters, both in the room, both watching online. In your name we pray. If you're brave enough, say amen. 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 Brilliant. Okay, John 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, that's Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen then his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made God known. I love how John begins his book, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which begin with genealogies, where's Jesus come from, without a childhood narrative, where was he born and raised, what were his early experiences like, John is jumping straight in to say, who was Jesus, and he parallels his gospel, he literally mirrors, copies and pastes some of the wording from Genesis chapter 1 about creation, John is saying that Jesus pre-existed creation with God, and in the beginning, Genesis tells us that God spoke. He said, let there be light, and what? There was light. Now, John says the spoken word of God, the power in creation, was in fact Jesus Christ. Jesus is involved in creation. Now, I love that image because it speaks of the relationship between the Father and the Son. That Jesus is not only communicating the Father, but he himself is part of the Father. There's, there's this symbiotic relationship between Father and Son. And as you read throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says repeatedly, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the image, then, of the invisible God. He is the word. He is manifest, then. Now, this is so interesting. And the first point I want to make, then, is truth exists because of the incarnation. Who here has heard of the word incarnation? Yeah, I wonder how many of us really knows what it means. A bit of a language lesson. Who here has eaten a chili con carne? Yeah, a couple of people have had a chili con carne. So chili is chili with meat, con carne. So there's something about the incarnation is with meat on. So here God is taking on meat. Incarnation, God with meat, chili con carne. That's how I remember it. (laughs) And this is what John is saying. John is saying the spoken word of God is now dwelling in human flesh, in muscle, in meat. We have God the Father. Now, this is revelationary for us. Because suddenly... God has entered into human history. He has come. In fact, John says we have held him. We have seen his glory. So we've got my subjective or John's subjective experience of God. What is he like in the person of Jesus? But we also have this objective revelation of God in the flesh. And suddenly, all our theories and claims about God are put to the test. What is God like? Does he love me? Is he cross with me? Is he a really angry, punitive kind of God? Will he forgive me? Does he even care about me and the way I live my life? All these questions are suddenly put to the test in the person of Jesus. God with meat, walking the earth. What's interesting then is because God is himself in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God. What we say is Jesus not only points to truth, he doesn't just educate us and speak about truth, but he himself is truth. He is the truth of God. And therefore, Jesus's incarnation isn't just about educating us, about us having a head knowledge. Oh yeah, well, I know what God's like because I read this about Jesus. But friends, it is relational. We can have a relationship with truth. Now, a kind of example of this is when I was working during COVID lockdown, I didn't meet lots of colleagues. I was only email correspondence with them. And I got a bit of an understanding. I could understand a bit of the truth of some of the characters that I was working with. For example, I knew that they had you know, a pet cat. I knew when their birthdays was. Um, I knew that they're like using exclamation marks in an email. Um, I had a bit of a picture or an idea based on something of the truth of that person. Now, if I had a colleague come and tell me, oh, I've been hanging out with them. This is my testimony of them. That would have been interesting, maybe added to some of the truth, but a totally intellectualized version of that truth. It was only when COVID lockdown lifted and I actually met some of these other colleagues of mine in the flesh that suddenly I had an encounter with the truth of who they were. So point one then is that truth exists because of the incarnation. We know what God is like in the person of Jesus who we can have a relationship with. Okay, point two then, who's with me? Yeah, point two, truth defines reality. What this means is because we believe that truth exists in the person of Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus has come from the outside in. He pre-existed creation, and now he has come into creation. Therefore, we have truth existing outside of ourself, an objective reality that exists outside of our subjective reality and take on it, a truth beyond our perception of it. Let's read John 3. The one who comes from above, talking of Jesus, is above all. The one who is from the earth, like you or I, belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. Whoever then, you or I, believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains of him. Jesus coming into the world was like a light switch going on. He defines reality. He tells us what truth is like because he is not bound just by his human experience, because he pre existed his human experience. He comes and reveals to us a direct way of living. How is reality defined? The implication of this is massive because suddenly this means that God cares about what you do and how you live. The creator of life has something to say about it and he reveals it to us. So he cares about how you spend your money, how you handle conflict, about your sex life, about your identity. God cares about these things. And you know what? He has something to say about this. Now, some of these statements then, and we read them again and again in the Gospel of John, for example, don't have sex outside of the marriage relationship. Oh my goodness, did Elspeth say that? You know, some of this stuff then, this truth that Jesus defines is unpalatable and unpopular, especially in our 21st century culture where truth is relative. In fact, in John 6, Jesus is teaching, he's defining reality. And his disciples say this, Oh, Jesus, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Jesus knows that the truth that he testifies to can be offensive. We might feel got at. And I love this account in John 6, which is saying, even the disciples, the people who've been hanging out with Jesus, are grumbling. Oh, I don't really like what he said there. Oh, this is an offensive message. People aren't going to really like it. And you know what? Newsflash. Friends, we might not like the truth that God reveals to us about our lifestyle, about our spending habits, our viewing habits, about our relational habits with people. But friends, God has something to say about this. Now, you don't have to look far to hear reports about how irrelevant Christianity is to our current modern society. In fact, we have news outlets saying the church needs to reform because it's totally irrelevant. You need to change thousands of years of teaching to keep in line with modern thinking and modern relationships and modern identity and all this stuff. But, friends, just because people in power decide that they want to tweak and proclaim a different truth does not undermine the objective reality which Christ defines. In fact, we might not like it. We might not like it. And yet, we are all held to account to it. Our subjective beliefs and opinions are held to account. So, you might say, you know what, I'm in a loving, committed, consensual relationship, of course, I can have sex you know what, I think tithing and giving 10% of my income, you know what, I I think that's a pretty outdated Old Testament thing. This is my belief, this is my opinion, I'm going to live by it. This is my subjective truth. And as though God in reaction says, oh, okay, don't worry about me, that's just my opinion on the matter. You do you, uh, I'll do me, you know. God isn't like that. Now friends, Jesus knows that this might be hard to hear. You might take offense at this. I wonder where your heart's at now, me saying this stuff to you. Do you feel like you're grumbling in your spirit a little bit? Well, I don't really like the person of Jesus then. This incarnation doesn't sound like good news to me. It sounds like he's come as a bit of a killjoy, toe the line. And that's why this third point is so important. Point three then is truth is full of grace. Truth is full of grace. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth And the truth will what? It will set you free. Jesus says in John 10:10, I came in the incarnation, I took on flesh to give life and life in its fullness to you. There's a relationship then between the fullness of God and truth and the grace with which he shows. Again, when you read the gospel of John, you can't escape this. Jesus has multiple encounters with people who are in sexual relationships outside of marriage. And what does he do? He is so gracious to them. My goodness, he is so kind. He's so loving and merciful. He's protective. There's another story of somebody who denies the truth of Jesus. God is so compassionate and merciful and gracious to him. Somebody else who acts really, really violently. He carries a knife around and he slashes somebody's ear. How does God in the person of Jesus deal with that? of grace and kindness it is kindness that leads us to repentance so friends we believe totally that truth exists in the person of Jesus and we can verify what God is like and who he is we trust that Jesus defines reality and what life is to look like but friends don't miss this that his truth is so full of grace compassion kindness mercy he's so generous Light has come into the world. And as John says, some chose not to receive it. But for others who did, they became sons and daughters of God. They entered into that relationship. They had a taste of freedom, of life to its fullness. And friends, the Gospel of John says this, come and see. Jesus says to some disciples, come and see, spend the afternoon with me. And there's an invite to all of you now, come and see the person of Jesus the historical Jesus who is now at the right hand of the Father, back where he started. Before we go into another song, and then there's going to be a chance just to respond to this, I want us, if you're brave enough, to open up your hearts to the idea of truth. And that truth is the person of Jesus who is so gracious to you. He's not going to come to condemn you, to chide you. He is so gracious to you let's just quieten ourselves before him now and if you want again just open up your body as a sign that you're opening up yourself your soul to him and I believe that for some you've only had an encounter with truth the truth of God and God has felt very punitive maybe you even yourself have had a kind of a punishing brutal relationship with a father or with other people or with the church and maybe you feel hurt by the church you've known the truth of the church And today, God wants to remind you of his grace and his kindness and his love. He woos you. He pursues you with kindness and compassion. And for some of you, maybe you've only known the grace of God and you've taken advantage of it. And today, God wants to steer you back to the truth of his word. The invite to freedom, to life in its fullness. I just had a sense as well that some of you are almost trying to pedal two bikes. You use Christianity to maybe feel good. You come on a church on a Sunday because it's a feel-good factor. And today, Jesus is saying, come and see me, the real person, the real God with meat on. Come and have a relationship with me. Come and see follow Jesus come and see that his truth is full of grace which leads to freedom are you looking for freedom? are you looking for more life? life in its fullness maybe life seems very monotonous very black and white very grey at the moment and Jesus is saying come and see come and see taste of my goodness know my freedom Father would you give us ears to hear eyes to see who you are let us respond then to your invite about coming and seeing that you are good in your name we pray these things Amen